welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to Word for the World, The Life of Jesus. This is series 8 and episode 18 in which Jesus heals a crippled woman. We're studying in Luke's Gospel, continuing from the last episode. Luke 13 verses 10 to 21 tells the story and we also have a couple of parables that Jesus tells straight after the event of this amazing healing. Well, we're coming towards the end of series eight. Jesus has been in and around Judea in the southern part of the country, been traveling to some extent through Samaria, the central part of the country. One of the key events of this period has been the sending out of the 72, which we saw in an earlier episode. So his representatives, the apostles and other disciples have been traveling around the country and the central and southern parts of the country are now being filled with the message of the kingdom of God and the message about Jesus in the same way that had taken place earlier on in Galilee during Jesus's ministry there. So it's been a challenging and exciting time of Jesus traveling and as we've stated earlier John and Luke are the main writers who tell us about this particular period of time. Some of the themes that we've picked up will be relevant for today's episode so I just want to think for a moment about the fact that in the last few episodes we've noticed time and again that the issue of conflict with the religious authorities has come to the front of the story. It seems that the conflict with the religious leaders is intensifying as Jesus heads south towards Jerusalem towards what will be the final confrontation when Jesus is ultimately arrested, tried, executed and then rises again from the dead in triumph. The religious establishment as we've said before is firmly against Jesus and that a resistance to him is becoming much more public, much more vocal and more influential on the crowds around. We noticed in an earlier episode, for example, in Luke 11 verses 53 and 54, that after a confrontational discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they did the following, verse 53. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This is extremely hostile and extremely public. So the crowds could easily be influenced by these religious leaders. And the crowds were large. We noticed in Luke 12 verse 1, a crowd of many thousands had gathered on one particular occasion. This is remarkable. So the crowds are very large at times during this particular period of traveling. And Jesus is teaching quite a lot during this time about the cost of discipleship and we've seen that in a few episodes and he's urging people who listen to him to decide to follow him it's because this is a time of crisis for the Jewish nation Jesus time amongst them on earth physically present with them is going to be very short only a matter of weeks or months from the time that we are reading these episodes and these stories and they need to decide 
whether they are going to follow him. And this comes out in the previous episode where Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you also, you too, will all perish, commenting on others who'd died in tragic circumstances recently. He's calling people to follow him in an unambiguous way. And his 72 disciples traveling around are reinforcing that message all over the country. So this is the background. And in the midst of this very tense, exciting, complex journey that Jesus is undertaking, Luke tells us uh, particular stories of individual people. And this is one of them. This is a, a beautiful story of Jesus reaching out in compassion and authority to help a woman. Let's read the text. Luke 13, 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Well, it's another dramatic story. Another story of a healing on a Sabbath Another story of a healing in a synagogue. Jesus always visited the synagogues every Saturday, wherever he was, to worship and sometimes to speak. And this is another example of him doing that. And this woman comes, who is crippled by a spirit, and for 18 years has been unable to walk properly, unable to straighten her back, and therefore disabled in many of the ordinary tasks of life. But one of the themes of this passage is one that comes up in the Gospels time and again, and it's the question of the Sabbath day. If you've been following earlier episodes, you'll remember a number of similar controversies that took place on the Sabbath day. And it was a major source of conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. The synagogue leader makes the point clearly in verse 14, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. He's referring to the current 
interpretation of the law of Moses about the Sabbath day, which we identify as Saturday in our modern week. And on this Sabbath or Saturday, according to the law of Moses and according to the Ten Commandments, there should be a day of rest and worship for people, for all sorts of workers, even for the animals. A day of rest and worship. The problem with this was that Jewish tradition had added on many definitions of what that rest should be and made it very harsh and very restrictive and defined uh, what exactly constituted work, how far you could actually walk, where you could actually go, which tasks you could actually do. The general principle of the Sabbath, which God commanded as a covenant sign with the Jews, an indicator of his relationship with them, that Sabbath command had been controlled and turned into a series of rules and regulations by the religious leaders. And Jesus' point is that they are hypocritical in not allowing just a simple act of compassion on the Sabbath, but the synagogue ruler is quite clear. You can't even heal on the Sabbath because it is an act of work. Well, we've seen similar things before. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is dealing with a man with a shriveled hand, we have a tense controversy. And Jesus asks the people, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? This is just before he's going to heal this man. He confronts them as to whether they're really following the spirit and the intention of the original law of God by being so restrictive in what they're allowing people to do. When the disciples were walking through the cornfields, we find out in Matthew 12, one day on the Sabbath, and picking some of the heads of corn because they were hungry, they were on a long journey. They were criticised by the Pharisees for working on the Sabbath. Similarly, with a man born blind in Jerusalem, as recorded in John chapter 9, we have a huge controversy with the religious leaders when it turns out that this man was healed on the Sabbath day. So this theme is coming up again. Controversy concerning the Sabbath day. And it's just a symptom of this wider conflict with the religious authorities. And verse 17 indicates to us that a number of Jesus' opponents were in the congregation. It wasn't just the synagogue leader who articulated this hostility to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. But it says here, all his opponents were humiliated at the end of this incident. All his opponents. So it appears that people are travelling around following Jesus, opposed to him, as indicated in the verses we read at the end of Luke 11, where they were looking for ways to catch him out in public by questioning him and challenging him. And some of those people were here in this congregation and they took exception to the healing of this woman. Now, a key theme here is that the woman's physical disability was caused by the activity of an evil spirit or a demon. Verse 11 
she was crippled by a spirit. Verse 16, Jesus defines her condition as the fact that Satan has kept her bound for the 18 years that she has been crippled. So Luke is unambiguous. He's very clear that the root of this particular physical condition is an evil spirit's activity. And it's interesting that Luke describes a number of different disabilities and sicknesses and conditions that can be caused by the influence of evil spirits or demons within individual humans. In this case, the activity of the evil spirit causes a physical disability. Sometimes Luke describes the outcome of the activity of an evil spirit as someone who is spiritually troubled. For example, in Luke chapter 4, verses 33 to 35, when he was in a synagogue and a man possessed by a demon was there, he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. The activity of the Spirit was causing spiritual disturbance to this man. Sometimes Luke describes something else. Personal and social self-destruction caused by the activity of spirits operating in individuals. Luke 8 and verse 27 describes one of the two men who Jesus encountered when he went across the Sea of Galilee to the area of the Gadarenes. And one of them is described in Luke, and we find out from Matthew there, in fact, too. And in verse 27, Luke describes his situation. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Now, here are a number of different examples from Luke's gospel of the afflictions, uh, physical ailments and spiritual and emotional oppression that comes about through the activity of evil spirits. The interesting thing about Luke writing here and the other gospel writers as well is they just describe this in passing. They don't give us any great analysis. Now we know that in many cases, very many cases, physical illnesses like the one that this woman experienced, like this deformity in her back, is a purely physical phenomenon. Purely physical phenomenon and needs physical healing. But sometimes there is a spiritual dimension to such disabilities and afflictions. That's what we learn from the New Testament and from the Gospels and from a description of Jesus's healing ministry. Now, when Jesus comes to heal somebody, he uses a variety of different outworkings or methods of healing. Sometimes, if there is an illness to be overcome, he commands the sickness to depart. For example, with Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever, 
it says in the text that Jesus rebuked the fever. Sometimes a word of command is what Jesus uses. Sometimes when there are evil spirits or demons acting, he commands the spirits to depart. Sometimes people come to him who has a physical condition, but they also have a spiritual problem of uh, sin in their lives, such as a paralyzed man who was let down in front of Jesus through the roof of a house, which we looked at in an earlier episode. And the interesting thing is the very first thing that Jesus says to this man is, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then after that, he is healed. In this case, it's slightly different. Jesus simply declares that the woman is healed and he lays hands on her. Verse 12 and 13. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Just an interesting observation that Jesus' method of bringing about healing has a number of different dimensions. He approaches it in different ways, in different circumstances. Verse 16 tells us something else interesting about this woman. She is described by Jesus as a daughter of Abraham. This is a description of a Jewess, female Jew. And she has access to the privileges of being in covenant relationship with God through the Abrahamic covenant, through the covenant with Moses and the covenant with David, particularly the Abrahamic covenant. And Jesus wants the Jewish people to experience the full blessings of their covenant relationship with God and to break free of the kind of oppressions that satanic forces bring to humanity. It's quite a dramatic story. It's quite similar to some other stories where Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, worshipping, and an issue of healing presents itself. Someone comes to him and he heals that person. Every single time we see this happen, there is a resistance in the community. Some people are hostile because of their very strict interpretation of the Sabbath law. But Jesus' point here is that the Sabbath law, the spirit of the Sabbath law, bring about rest, should not be the basis for hundreds and hundreds of rules that define exactly how you should follow that rule about the day of rest. And he even points out that the synagogue ruler and the other critics are hypocrites because they take their animals out to get water on the Sabbath. Isn't that work as well, by the same definition? Probably more energy is required to do that than for Jesus simply to lay his hands on a woman and heal her. He's basically pointing out that they don't even follow all the rules that they have created. But here is a remarkable story and a woman who is set free from a really debilitating disability after 18 long years, a sign of the coming of the kingdom of God. 
Now, Jesus then moves on in our final verses to tell two parables. Parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. Now, if you've been following or if you're familiar with your Bibles, you'll know that Jesus has told these parables already earlier in the story, as recorded in Matthew chapter 13 in series 5 in our teaching. And they've been told in another context altogether. Now, this brings us to an interesting point, which happens on a number of occasions in the Gospels, which is that Jesus repeats his teaching in different contexts to different people, sometimes for exactly the same purpose and sometimes for a slightly different purpose. So we're going to review these two parables, but think of them in the context of this particular healing incident, because it appears that Jesus is there standing in the synagogue having healed this woman and then he shares these parables as teaching with the congregation there for a particular purpose and it's helpful for us to try and work out what that purpose might be. Parable of the mustard seed, Luke 13, verse 18 and 19. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Well, you may have heard the teaching that I gave when we discussed this before. But I'll just uh, remind you of the central issue here. The mustard seed was a very, very small seed and from the Jewish point of view in their culture was considered the smallest seed, the smallest available seed to them, the smallest seed in common use. And when you plant it in the ground, it can produce a bush or a small tree that can grow to up to three meters high. So it can become quite a significant large bush or a small tree. And one of the obvious points of this parable is that from small beginnings, great things can happen. And the second parable has a similar point. Verses 20 and 21. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Well, the power of yeast is great, tremendous. When it's mixed fully into the dough to make bread, and allowed to rise, the volume of the bread that is made is greatly enhanced by the presence of the yeast. And the yeast needs to extend to every part of the dough, it needs to get into every part of the mixture. But the interesting thing here is the woman is putting yeast into 60 pounds of flour, that's an enormous amount of flour. 
creating an enormous amount of dough, creating an enormous amount of bread once it's been baked. This is enough to feed a village. This is not a family quantity. If you had all this bread in one household, there's no way it could be eaten before it went off, became mouldy. So here's another story, speaking of a very small ingredient with a very big influence. The yeast is a very small part of the dough. It doesn't take much yeast to have a big influence. Now, these stories have been told before, and they've been told before in Matthew 13 in the context of Jesus' teaching about the growth of the kingdom. And he's making the point there that the kingdom starts from small beginnings. And from small beginnings, it's going to grow to tremendously large endings. It's going to grow through the years, through time, through the centuries, until Jesus comes again. And Matthew 13 is a wonderful chapter that reassures us that God's kingdom is growing and will continue to grow, even though there'll be difficulties, there'll be interruptions which are described in some of those parables and you can go back into series five to look at those again if that interests you but here although there's a similar message there is a more particular application so i want to come now to just reflect on this story and these two parables when Jesus tells parables at a particular occasion, there's always a significance of the occasion. The context matters. And the context of the retelling of these two parables does actually matter. Now, my proposal to you is that Jesus is identifying here the significance of small actions. You see, the healing of this woman in this synagogue who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, that healing in the context of Jesus's overall ministry is a small action. It takes place very quickly. There is only one person involved in a healing. This isn't a mass healing. This is the intimacy of a synagogue congregation. Here probably is a woman who comes regularly to that synagogue congregation and there is a single healing. All Jesus did was to speak to her and to say, you're set free from your infirmity and to put his hands on her. That was all he did. But from that action, there could be great consequences. What impact is that going to have on her family? What impact is that going to have on her village? What impact is that going to have on that synagogue community? People will never be able to forget that Jesus came one day into their synagogue, probably the only time he ever visited their synagogue, because this was in Judea. Jesus didn't travel in Judea very often. And on that occasion, he performed an incredible miracle. From that small action there could be great consequences and huge influence. And probably that's what Jesus is implying here. His small actions 
such as this one, are going to have very large consequences. Well, that's an interesting observation, given that we are now talking about this event 2,000 years later, because it's put into the Gospel of Luke, and it becomes part of the story of Jesus that we retell in every generation of the Christian church. And this small action is now influencing you and me. The kingdom is still growing. This passage also helps us to understand a little bit about the activities of evil spirits seeking to disable and oppress people in a number of different ways. And Jesus takes the victory over the activity of these evil spirits. So this healing is also symbolizing the fact that on the cross he's going to win a fundamental victory over Satan and all the powers of evil because the cross will unlock the opportunity of salvation for countless millions of people across the world in the centuries that follow. My final reflection here is that here is another step in the story of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. There have been quite a few steps already. There's quite a few more to come, which we'll see in further episodes. And this conflict is going to increase in intensity until the point that the high priests and the Sanhedrin members in Jerusalem decide to arrest Jesus and take him into a trial in the high priest's house and hand him over to the Romans to get him executed. This conflict is heading for a showdown in Jerusalem. Here is another step on the way. But on this occasion, Jesus' opponents were humiliated and the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.